from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Saturday, February 2nd, 2008. Day 91 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, I meet up and have a moment with Ed Horowitz, one of the first people to be a guest on this podcast. But before we begin, I just want to read you an email I received from Liz in Memphis who wrote in to say, I decided to write in and give you a little more information about me and why I'm listening. I actually don't have anything to do with writing. I provide second-level technical support at a major law firm in Memphis, basically fixing computer problems all day long. I do, however, like to watch TV after getting home from work, cooking, cleaning, and putting the kid to bed. In this regard, I am definitely affected. Watching TV at night is how I unwind and relax my mind. Anyway, like many others, I was curious about what was going on, but wasn't hearing much on the news. So I went looking and found your podcast. I am now very informed about what's going on, and I absolutely agree with what the writers are doing. And more power to you for your daily commitment, and a big thanks for what you're doing. I didn't start listening until late November, so I've had to listen to multiple episodes per day to get caught up, and I finally am. Yay! Anyway, I also wanted to answer your infamous question. I think that the internet is the more powerful invention, and here's why. I can research technical issues, pay bills, rent a movie, buy a new vacuum cleaner belt, chat with my little brother in Cleveland, send you an email from my free Gmail account, buy or read a book on Amazon, bid on my latest auction, disprove someone's email about skeletal models, change my direct TV programming, and so much more, all in like an hour. Okay, maybe two hours. It's incredible, signed Liz. Well, thanks, Liz, for writing in and for sharing your thoughts. I think when I put the question to writers, I'm focusing on the aspect of the Internet versus printing press as a tool of expression and artistic freedom, although I'll sometimes add the concept of these inventions as useful and important tools in a democratic and free society. Now, it's really interesting that you favor the Internet not only as a tool of communication, but also as a task management tool. So I find that really, really interesting. And yeah, you're right. Anyway, thanks for writing in. Okay, that's it. Next up is a conversation I had with Ed Horowitz at the picket lines in front of Fox Studios. Let's roll sound. Oh, you're with Ed Horowitz. Now, Ed, you were the first guy I ever interviewed for this podcast. How's it make you feel? It's kind of flattering. Yeah? Yeah, in fact, I got a phone call from an old friend of mine who lives in Colorado who was doing a random Google search, and he found me, and he called. He's an English teacher uh, in Colorado, and he called to tell me that he was very impressed with how I structured my argument with a topic sentence and then three arguments and a concluding sentence. And Is that right? He actually sat, left that on my machine. Wait, I can't even remember that. Do you recall this? I have no idea what I said, but I believe that if you go to Tanya's site, you can actually find archived all of her old interviews. Strikechronicles.com. It was, I think, the first week of the strike. It was actually one of the first location pickets, and I was walking for dogs. And I was walking off the set back to my car and you stopped and you asked to interview me and I think you were asking what the specific issues were at that time and right. I think I was articulating what was important what they were and why they were important to us 
that was way back in November. Take us now. Take us into the third, what third week of January. What are the issues now? We're approaching. We... we are approaching the end of month three in the strike. I mean, again, you know, my knowledge of the issues is based on the same. Uh, the same internet information as every other writer and pretty much anybody who's curious about this stuff. So I don't know anything that anyone else doesn't know. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people. I, I actually had a conversation yesterday with somebody who, of course, knows people who are in the room because nobody really knows those people. Everything's like twice removed. Right. But evidently, um, the general consensus is that the screenwriter side of the deal is pretty much going to be with the DGA dealers, which is actually fine for writers. If you actually look at the, the sell-throughs and the royalties and residuals, they're actually quite good for screenwriters. What they're haggling over is what TV writers are going to get. And the big issue, which has been the issue from the get-go, is that the WGA wants uh, percentages and the AMPTP wants to give us hard prices. And there's a whole series of, you know, Kennedy-esque theories behind that. The, the leading one being that... Oh, I'd love to hear this. Yeah. No, the leading one being that they don't want to have to open their books to actually show how much they're making and how many hits they're getting and what the real percentages are. So they prefer to pay as a flat number. The problem becomes then, the number that we want is not commensurate with what they claim they're making right. because it's based on TV. And, and the thing is, they have a valid argument in the sense that the amount of money that we want is not really justified yet. However, they have no valid argument whatsoever with the fact that why can't they pay us a percentage? So that's sort of like the philosophical debate that's hanging it up. And, you know, a lot of people seem to think that maybe the thing will be resolved in the next two weeks, and, you know, I hope so. But the dark underbelly of that is that if it's not, and so far nothing's really happened, you know, every time there's a rumor like this, if it's not resolved, this is going to be a long, ugly, ugly strike. Why? Why do you say that? Well, you know, supposedly, again, I just heard this, that the AMPTP really wants to preserve the Oscars. You know, it's a huge financial boon for the network, and it's the biggest single piece of advertising for all of the movies that are nominated, you know, for the year. And there's a lot of money at stake, and if they lose that, then I'm not sure what their incentive is to make a deal in a hurry, you know. Then I, I think the AMPTP might just punish us once more. You know, and like hurt us, like or try to hurt us by either walking or not dealing or God knows what. And if that happens, then the SAG strike starts to loom, and then things start getting really ugly. So you think it's a vindictive uh, posture they're taking? You think they're trying to break the union? You know, I. In my gut, yeah, but I have nothing to base that on whatsoever. It just, okay. it's just, there was an article in some magazine a couple months ago about Rupert Murdoch uh-huh. and they're talking about this, the negotiating between the AMPTB and the Writers Guild and they pointed out that in 1980 something in England the printing press workers or whoever they are actually went on strike and overnight Murdoch fired everyone broke the union and just hired scabs. And, you know, you, he, you know, Rupert Murdoch's one of the big fish in that room because he's the only guy who's making money right now. Fox is making a lot of dough off reality, so he's got no reason to, to you know, negotiate. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he's advocating that they break the union. And, you know, this is what happened to the musicians. You know, I have a good friend who is on the MASH, the TV show MASH soundtrack. Okay. And I said to him one day, I said, you must have made a lot of money off that. And he said, I did for seven years until they broke the reunion, and now we don't get residuals anymore. Oh. And that happened like 10, 15 years ago. But... You know, why wouldn't they want to break the unit if they can? They don't like us. 
Yeah. And this is all my opinion. This is not the WA state position at all. I right, say. right. I can't. I'm just one angry, unhappy writer. You're still angry. You were freaking out when I met you. Are you still freaking out now? How are you surviving these, these um, past few months? I've actually made peace. Yeah? Yeah. I, I've made peace with, uh, with you know, budgeting. Um, <laughs> You know, and I, you know, and it's the classic thing. Like right then, when it was happening, I was going to complete. I think most writers were in a complete panic because they didn't know how long it was going to last and how they were going to do. And you know, now that we're three months in, it's like, okay, I actually have enough money to get me through the next six months. You know, of course, I, um, I'm not. I didn't go on vacation. Uh, I'm not going out to dinner, and I had to sell my favorite amplifier. No. Yeah, it was um, my amp for like my. 10 years of rock and roll guitar playing and it just I don't play it anymore and it's an expensive amp and it's a couple thousand bucks and I do need the money so yeah. you know some days the strike really sucks I mean it hurt to let it go yeah sure sure it really did <laughs> I just want to say that silence was Tanya hugging me I'm not going to say why what are you doing with your time <laughs> <laughs> um mostly freaking out uh no um uh, I, I, you know, I would say I spend probably one day a week freaking out still, but uh, I do a variety of things, you know, picketing, and then um, I'm close to having a web project that we might be able, we might have the financing for a web project. I've actually pursued that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that, and I'm sort of trying to do that. I mean, it's not a fast money maker, but it's a chance to understand the internet more, and I think we've got something that we can sustain for about a year if we can get the financing and we're really close, so that's excellent. Is it a new media project? It's a feature script I wrote years ago, which was a campy, low-budget horror movie that these guys wanted to make, but they would never do a guild, so I would never sell it. So I went back to them and said, look, look let's do it from the internet. We'll do it low-budge, and we'll get enough money to build a website, and we're planning to shoot it and then cut it into three-minute episodes and release two a week for 15 weeks. Oh, cool. And I've always jokingly had the sequel, so the minute we go into production, we'll start writing the second one, uh -huh. and we'll already have the crew together. We'll go right in the next one like it was 15 more weeks and then we'll build the website and we'll see if you know we can actually make it fly it's sort of in the same vein as um, roommates or prom queen or any of these other ongoing series so we're doing that I've been doing theater actually I had a bunch of plays in a, a playwriting festival at the Ruskin Theater in Santa Monica in November and they do these ongoing once a month one day plays and I write those and that gives me a chance to work with actors and directors some of whom are in the guild and some of who aren't and I've got some plays that might be in this uh, Ojai play festival in the in the summer so that's been that's been good in terms of like doing something creative and then um, I'm also in a band called 500 Ponies and so we're basically starting to play out again we, we had to get a new singer and I'm doing that to stay busy and then um, every night I spend a couple hours uh, reading all the online contributions to the strike thing, which then gives me a stomachache. And pretty much twice a week, I, I cruise the Craigslist writing ads, trying to see if I can get an ad doing blogs. So I've written a couple of articles for a travel site and have talked to some people some other online blogging. And, you know, I mean, I apply for a professorship at San Francisco State because if this strike goes on until August, I need a job. You're a graduate from San Francisco State, are you not? No, I went to Berkeley, then I have an MFA from UCLA. Okay, this is, you know how I know all this is because I, I researched you on IMDb. I also found out that you got a rotten tomato, is that right? Um, um, I'm on, no, I, um, uh, they were the raspberries, the golden oh, raspberries. I was in graduate school at UCLA and I was getting out and uh, I had a writing partner at the time, Robin Russin, who's a very good friend and a very good writer, and he had this crazy dream one night and uh, he told it to me, I told him it was a really dumb idea, but if we put guns and helicopters in it, we could probably sell it. So, <laughs> so uh, Robin is a Rhodes Scholar and I was a, uh, an effete playwright at the time. Uh, 
and uh, we started writing a script that quickly we realized was an action movie, so we had to go watch action movies because we'd never seen one. And we... Um, How old were you at the time? Oh, I was not young. I went to graduate school late. Neither was Robin. We, um... Oh, I was 29 when we started writing the script because I had told myself that I was not a successful writer by 30, I was going to give up. And on my 30th birthday, I said to Robin, I'm going to finish this script and I am quitting this fucking business. Can I say that word on? Yeah, on, you can okay. say whatever you want. So anyway, so Robin and I ended up writing 14 drafts of that script. I had $8 in the bank. I had had my car welded back together by a friend and I had $26,000 in student loans coming due and we gave the script to my manager on a Friday night and on Sunday I called him and said, I got to send you a new copy because there are a bunch of typos and he said, you can't, Warner Brothers is going to buy it tomorrow. And um, we sold it that Wednesday for a lot of money. Pay off all your debts? I paid off all my debts, I bought a new car, I bought some clothes uh, and I actually opened a a savings account. And joined the Writers Guild in 1991. In fact, I was walking with my strike captain, who was my guild advisor when I joined the guild. Uh, Alana Bardeen, a lovely woman and a great writer. Um, So anyway, uh, we sold the script, and it was an environmental action movie. And, uh, An environmental you know, action? action movie. Yeah. And here's, so here's the story. Clint Eastwood wanted to make it. Okay. And literally, I was at William Morris visiting a friend, and his agent, Len Hirschen, had me searched out and brought to his office where he personally told me, Clint, literally, the quote is, Clint wants to make your movie. He even has his own helicopter. And I went home and said, oh my God, I'm an A-list writer. My career is made. And then four days later, my manager called and said, guess what? The good news is they're making the movie. The bad news is they're giving it to Steven Seagal. <laughs> And it went on to become On Deadly Ground, which Steven Seagal uh, starred in, directed, and produced. And I quickly became a B-less movie writer. Uh, oh, so anyway, so Steven uh, said to us in um, our meeting, I'm going to let you guys do your past, and I'm going to come in and make it something really special. And he did. And the movie came out, and we had... To, uh, there were so many other writers we had to arbitrate and Robin and I got sole credit, though there was not a line of dialogue spoken as written by either of us. And um, the movie was nominated for a Golden Raspberry and damn the movie Color of Night starring Bruce Willis, it beat us out for that. So I didn't even win that. Oh, man. But there's a great quote somewhere in Rotten Tomatoes. I once Googled myself late at night. And uh, this is a long time ago, but somewhere there was the quote, Ed Horowitz should be bitch slapped for writing that scene. <laughs> Which made me laugh because I didn't write it. I didn't write it, but I'll take the credit because it means residuals. <laughs> right on. Okay. You, you mentioned, uh, uh, what's his name? Fox guy. Rupert Mur- you mentioned Rupert Murdoch yeah. and the printing uh, union and all that. So here's my final question before we wrap this up. What is the more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press? Oh, the printing press, no doubt. How come? Because without the printing press, there would be no internet for yeah, starters. Yeah, but no, yeah, no, no, but, no, because, you know, okay. legacy notwithstanding. I mean, well, just no, stand alone. Stand alone, the printing press, because, you know, the written word has been around much longer. And at the end of the day, the internet is a medium that delivers the written word, as does the printing press. However, there's a permanency and a, uh, 
and a hard reality to the printed word that doesn't exist on the internet. I mean, at the end of the day, you shut off your computer and it's gone. When you put down that book, it's still there. I mean, this whole thing with these uh, electronic books that um, they're trying the to Kindle, sell. Yeah. The Kindle, which is a great idea, and I have a lot of friends who like it, and there are a lot of great things about it. But at the end of the day, a book is a book. There's a relationship that a reader has with the smell and the touch and the feel of a book. I mean, just again, a, a, a brief story. I was once I in love stories. I was once in Mexico on vacation reading a Stephen King novel. And uh, I met a woman in Puerto Vallarta, and she said, oh, how is that book? And I said, it was about 600 pages. And I said, you know what? So far, it's pretty good. And I ripped the paper back in half, and I said, here's the first half. I will see you again, and when I do, I will give you the rest. And I actually bumped into her in Zihuataneo about six weeks later, and I gave her the rest of the book. Oh, cool. You cannot do that with the Internet. No, there's other things you can do, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And other things you can do, such as... Uh, Go to your website and listen to all of your old archives. That brings me to, have you been listening at all? Um, yeah, I listen sporadically. Uh, I pretty much flit around. I, 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 there are a whole bunch of different sites. Writers Action, uh, United Hollywood, your site, Nikki Fink, the WGA, and then whatever, you know, new service. So I, I pick different ones on different days, and I go, and I, I've listened to yours maybe two or three different times. You had some friends of mine on. And the one oh, thing I... Um, I'm drawing blanks now. Okay, I can't the one remember. thing what? Yeah. Um, I say, but the one thing that I've noticed about yours is that, that you capture the humor that, you know, look, this is a really dire situation, but, you know, if Gallo's humor worked for the Jews during the concentration camp era, then it's working for us because, you know, you got to laugh, if, otherwise you're going to cry. And, like, that's one of the things you have captured is the wit and the, um, the surviving humor that, like, helps us get through this. And, and for that, I, I thank you. Uh, and I thank you for your time. It's good to see you again. Thanks. It was great to see you too, Tanya. You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.